The gospel reading today is Acts 1, 1 through 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ginger. Yesterday I, I attended the Hmong, the first, the very, very first Hmong National Caucus um, Regional Conference. And so they've been established since 1992, but yesterday was the first time that they were able to have their conference. And it's, uh, you know, the bishop showed up and everything. And so it was something that was very, very positive. And one of the things is that every, every time I, every time I um, attend a Hmong service, then I come back and I want to preach a little bit longer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how they preach, right? They preach for about 45 minutes to, to an hour or so. But uh, I will try, I'll keep this short for us. Um, yeah, but, but it's tempting, right? It's tempting. Um, you know, when, as Christians, one of the things that we often talk about, that we talk a lot about, is we talk a lot about, you know, Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about Easter. We talk a lot about the resurrection, the crucifixion, um, the sufferings of Jesus Christ, and all that stuff. And we talk a lot about that. But some, one of the things, at least in my experience, is that we, we don't talk so much about those 40 days, those 40 days after the resurrection, as to exactly what Jesus was doing within those 40 days. Because as, as the Gospel of John teaches us, he, he was there for 40 days with the disciples and with his followers and, and just teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the days after, the, the days after the resurrection. I'm going to talk a little bit about those 40 days and what Christ was actually doing with his disciples, with his followers. We see in the first Bible verse that we read today in Joel chapter uh, 2, verse 23 to verse 27, we see the prophecies of the prophet Joel when he was talking about the restoration of the nation of Judah. You know, they have just went through, they have just went through the, the judgment of God because of all the sins that they were doing in their own lives, in their own country. And they went through this judgment with the locusts and things of that sort. And so the prophet Joel is coming to them, and he's prophesying to them, and he's showing them that there is going, even though you're, you're going through all this judgment, that God has placed all this judgment on you, that God is going to restore you again. God is going to restore you again. And the Bible verses that we read in uh, verse 23 to verse 27, it refers a lot to the, the physical restoration, the physical restoration of, of the nation of Judah talks about the materialistic needs, their, their physical needs. But if we go further than that, from verse 28 to verse 32, we see something else. We see a more direct message directly to the gospel, a more direct message to the spiritual restoration of, the, of Judah, of the country or the nation of Judah. And that's one of the things that we realize as Christians, that as we are as we are pursuing our physical needs, we must not forsake also our spiritual need. 
We live in a time and an age in which we pursue so much towards our physical needs, the needs of this world, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but many times we do that by neglecting our spiritual needs. I speak with a lot of them, you know, younger moms, and some of the older moms here in our congregation too, and we, I know that a lot of the, the younger moms in our, our congregation here, they're very well educated. They're very well, well educated. And they always talk to me that, Chang, you know what? We understand about the physical needs, our physical needs. We understand we understand how to run an organization. We know all that stuff already. But what we desire so much, what we desire so much for is someone to give us that spiritual need, to provide for our spiritual need. We desire to have that devotional life that focuses on building up, building up our spiritual life. And I find out working with millennials for so long so long, for the last 15 years or so, I find out that's, that's what they are missing in their life. So many of them have been told their whole life to just go get a, you know, get a good education, get a good job. And once you get a good job, you make good, a good living. You make all the money in the world. And you can buy all kinds of stuff. And they've been told that that's the idea of success. And they've pursued that. And many of them have pursued that to great length. And they've achieved that. But there's always something that's missing in their hearts as you speak to them, as you work with them, as you sit down with each and every single one of them, as you pray for them. You realize that there's always something that's missing in their life. And that one thing that is missing in their life is that spiritual need. And they always talk about it, that we have everything that we need, but there's something that's missing in our hearts. And that's why when we, when we read this passage here in Joel, we see that here in the first, from verse 23 to verse 27, God is talking about for providing rain and things of that sort for the physical needs. But as we go further than that, God is saying, that's not enough. I'm also going to restore you spiritually. I'm also going to restore you spiritually. And that's where Christ comes in. That's when Jesus Christ comes in. That's when the church comes in. As we go further to John chapter 21, verse 20 to verse 25, we see right before that, Jesus was talking to Peter, and he was saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, then feed my sheep. And they said that for about three times. And right after that, you know what Peter, what Peter did? He, was dis he became distracted. He, 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 he became distracted, and he was like, okay, you know, Jesus, you want me to do this stuff, but what about that guy? What about that guy? And he was pointing, he was pointing to the apostle John, the disciple John. One of the things that amazes me about the John the disciple is this, that the only thing that he would, the only way that he would refer to himself is he would refer to himself as the, as the one whom Jesus loved, as the one whom Jesus loved. It's an astonishing thing because he understands, he understands that he can't love Christ the way he ought to love Christ. That his only hope, his only hope in life 
is for Christ to love him. He understands that no matter how much he follows Christ, that he will never follow Christ the way that he ought to follow Christ. And so he doesn't put his, his hope in himself, but he puts his hope in the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ. And so that's why he always refers to himself as the, the one in which Jesus Christ loved. But in those verses, we also see John talking about the many things that Jesus Christ did. And he says that there's so many things that Christ did that we did not write about. Because if we wrote about it, there, there would not be enough room for us to write about this Jesus Christ. There would not be enough room for us to write about what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done in his ministry, what Christ has done for the world. There's just simply not enough room. This is what I truly believe. I truly believe that God is so, so big. His love is so great, so deep, that all of us for the rest of our eternity after we pass into glory, that we will spend the rest of our eternity just learning about this Jesus Christ, just reflecting upon this Jesus Christ, just reflecting upon what he has done for us. And it is so great, so immense, that I believe it's going to, for the rest of our eternity, we're just going to reflect upon it. And even in that, even in that, we would never truly, truly, truly ever grasp wholly what Christ has done for us. And I believe that's what John is talking about. I believe that's what he's talking about. That I, can, that I can write so much more, I can talk so much more, we can write so much more, we can talk so much more about this Jesus Christ. But there simply isn't enough room for us. There's just simply not enough books for us, simply not enough paper for us to write about it. I believe that's what John was talking about here. I believe that's what he was talking about. And so as we come to look at those 40 days, we see what Christ was doing. Merrill F. Unger, in his book, The New Unger's Bible Handbook, he put the events in this chronological order. He, he took all the Gospels together, and he put them into a chronolog uh, chronological order for us. I'm glad he did that so that I don't have to do it. But um, he put that in order for us. And the first thing he put... Put down was that okay? The first event that happened after Christ's resurrection was Mary Magdalene, along with Mary, the mother of James. They went to the tomb, and then he put down after that they they found the stone being rolled away. Then Mary Magdalene goes and tells the disciples, and then the Mary, the mother of John, draws near and sees the angel. She goes back to meet the other women following the spices. Then then uh, meanwhile Peter and John arrive. Look into the tomb and depart. And Mary returns weeping, and she sees two angels, and then she sees Jesus. And then the risen Christ bids for her to tell the disciples. Then Mary, the mother of James, this is the, this is the disciple James. Mary, the mother of James, meanwhile, returns with the women. And then they return to see the two angels. And then they also hear the, the angels' messages. And on their way to find the disciples, they are met by the risen Christ. And Meryl also puts the post-resurrection appearance in this chronological order. The first person to see Jesus was Mary Magdalene. After that, it was the women returning from the tomb. Then Peter later in the day. 
then to the disciples in the evening, then to the apostles except Thomas. After that, to the apostles a week later with Thomas present. And then in Galilee to the seven by the lake of Tiberias. Then in Galilee on a mountain to the apostles and to 500 believers. And then at Jerusalem and Bethany again. And then at Mount Olivet and the ascension. And then to Paul near Damascus. Then to Stephen outside of Jerusalem. Then to Paul in the temple to John at Patmos. And that's how Muriel Unger put everything in a chronological order for us to understand exactly what happened after those 40 days. But as we, as we study those 40 days, we see a couple things that Christ was doing. The first thing that he was doing was he came, he came to comfort his followers after his resurrection. He was comforting them. You see, these guys are guys who were following Christ for three and a half years, and they were saying to Jesus that we're going to go anywhere you're going to go. No matter what happens, we're going to be there for you. And yet, at, during Christ's greatest suffering, at the time in which he was arrested, and at the time in which he was being crucified, what happened? They all deserted him. They just all deserted him. Even Peter, the, I guess the most hardcore, right? The most hardcore of the, all the apostles. Even he denied Jesus Christ three times. These people were following Jesus Christ for such a long time, and they had all these hopes and all these dreams, and this Messiah, they had all these hopes and all these dreams, and this king, and they were hoping that we're going to reign with Jesus Christ. We're going to rule with Christ. And yet all of a sudden, this king, this Messiah that they were going to rule with. He was being crucified. He was being killed. I can only imagine they were shocked. I can only imagine that they were confused. And so as Christ was going through this, they deserted Christ. They deserted Christ. Now, how many of us in here, I'm sure if I ask this question, all of us will probably put our hands on. How many of us in here You've always, you know, you've always been there for your, your friends. You've, you've always been there for your family and things of that sort. And all of a sudden, when you need them the most, they're gone. They're just gone, right? I'm sure we've all went through that. Once, Once or twice. <laughs> I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. How do we normally respond to these people? A lot of times we turn away from them. We're, we don't want to talk to them anymore, you know? Nowadays we block them from Facebook. We don't want them to see our posts anymore, right? Yeah, But Christ did not desert them. Even though they deserted Christ, he responded by returning to them and comforting them, giving them comfort. That gives us hope. That gives us hope and brings us back, it brings us back to understanding exactly what John the disciple was talking about, that his only hope is in the love of Christ. He, and he understands that even when I fail Christ, Christ is not going to fail me. And my dependency in life, my dependency in this relationship is all dependent upon what Christ has done and, about, and on what Christ is doing for me. And we read the scriptures when we see the character of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see those reeds, those little things, they used to take those, and they used to try to make music, little music instruments out of those things. And when it breaks, they'll just toss it away as though it is nothing. 
But even those things, Christ sees, Christ sees that he's not simply just going to throw anyone away. He's not going to just simply desert anybody. Even in your worst time, he's not going to desert you. But his response is always, always, always going to be to comfort you. A lot of times we expect ourselves to follow Christ perfectly. And that's, that's a good expectation. That's a good standard to have. But even if we have that standard, the truth is that we don't. None of us here follows Christ perfectly. A lot of times we expect other people to follow Christ perfectly. And they don't. And we become disappointed in them and things like that. But we always have to remember that even when we don't follow Christ perfectly, he still loves us. And his response is always to be there with us. His response is not to desert us, not to throw us away, not to forsake us, but to comfort us, to comfort us. We also see one of the things that Jesus did was he came back to convince his followers. He came back to convince them of his resurrection. I mean, they, like I said last time, they, they know all the stories, they know all the teachings, but they had doubts in them. They all had doubts in them. But yet, but yet in their doubts, Christ came back to convince them. I have a lot of atheist um, family members and, and a lot of non-believers in my family, and, and of course a lot of friends who are non-believers, and a lot of times they often accuse the Christian faith of being a blind faith of you guys just follow this, this God, this book, you know, blindly. But that's not true. What I find out is that many times when I talk to a lot of non-believers and athe- a lot of my atheist friends is that, you know, a lot of the things that they say are simply misconceptions that they have, misconceptions that they have about Christianity. And a lot of times they don't really know what they're talking about, but they just want to argue with you for the sake of arguing, you know. And it's a fun thing. I actually enjoy, you know, just arguing with my family members about things like that. But, you know, anyways, you know, the faith, the Christian faith, is not a blind faith. That God wants to show us that he is real. We see in Isaiah chapter uh, 1, verse 18, the word of God says this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like uh, crimson, they shall become like wool. You see, God is calling us to come to him and to reason with him. You know, one of the guys, one of the disciples that we often give him a negative label is Thomas, right? We call Thomas the Doubting Thomas, right? And for 2,000 years, he's been known as as, as Doubting Thomas. But what we fail to realize is that in his questioning, he saw Christ. In his questioning, he saw Christ. Do we question Christ enough in our lives to the point that we will see Christ? Do we do that? A lot of times we don't even do that. A lot of times we don't even care to question our own faith. But God is calling us that, you know, just don't follow blindly, but feel free to question your faith. Feel free to come to me and to reason with me, and I will give you the evidence. I will provide for you the evidence of my existence, of my love, of my grace to you. That's what God is calling us for. There's a movie coming out called The Case for Christ. It's about Lee Strobel. I read about him about 15 years ago. He's an award-winning journalist, and his wife became a Christian. And so he uh, used his skills as an award-winning journalist to go out there and to try to prove his wife wrong because his wife became a Christian. And all of a sudden, she started acting like a Christian, and and he didn't really like it. And so he wanted to prove her wrong. And so he went out there, and he investigated into Jesus Christ. 
investigate into Jesus Christ. And like I said, he used his skills, his experience as, a, as an award-winning journalist. And this movie, I believe, is coming out here pretty soon. But after all the investigation, he came to Christ, and he says, you know what, all the evidence points me to Christ. And he came to Christ, and he became a Christian. And nowadays, he's one of the strongest apolog- Christian apologetics out there. His name is Lee Strobel. There's a movie coming out that's going to talk about him. That's going to... So hopefully, hopefully we would take the time to uh, watch that movie. The third thing we see is that Jesus commissioned his followers. He came and he gave them a purpose. They lost their purpose. They were lost. They went back to their old, their, their old life. They went back to being fishermen. And yet Christ came and he commissioned them. He gave them a purpose. That no, that's, no, that's not, your, your life was not made for being, just going out there and fishing every week, and fish every week. Your life, is made for Christ. And you are to go out there and make disciples for Christ. He gave, them, he gave them a purpose. And not only that, we see 10 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Jerusalem. 